Hey, what's going on, guys? What's going on? I hope you guys are having a wonderful day. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins, and welcome to drboycetv.com, the home for intelligent black people. And today we're going to talk about Stacey Abrams, and she got this fancy new job at Howard University. And uh, I'm going to really sort of uh, talk about this because I think it's really great. I think it's good for Howard. It's good for her. Uh, but also, I'm, the question I want to ask is, uh, how good is this for the black community? And what does it really mean to know the difference between substance versus symbolism. So uh, get comfortable, uh, buckle up your seatbelt. We're going to get started on drboystv.com right now. Here we are, clan the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money and the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn it to intelligence. Believe none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Boyce TV. Here we are. Welcome to DrBoyceTV.com, the home for intelligent black people. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. Shout out your city. Shout out the city you're from, and I'll shout your city back. And uh, hit the thumbs up button. Thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up, share, subscribe. I want to say hello to Yashika Garner, uh, Chisel Chipper out of Guyana, Brooklyn via Guyana. Nice. LaShawn, how you doing? From Kosciuszko, Missouri. Uh, Max Jerome, what's going on? Max out of Cali. Uh, B1 to you too, Sizzla, and uh, Mark the Great, my man. Good to see you, brother. My Call of Duty buddy. Uh, Tiana Shanta, Washington. I hope you enjoyed the book. T uh, Tiana mentioned the other day that she was reading my new book, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power, which is an Amazon bestseller. So uh, if you want to go to Amazon and grab a copy, I'd really appreciate it. And get some copies for your friends, too. Uh, it is a Black Wealth training manual on how we as a community can achieve real progress. Uh, so I see Black Johnson and LaShawn out of Mississippi. Uh, real Truth and Power, Ren Fox out of Dominica. Uh, OKC for Black Johnson. Good to see you. And Keith Brown out of Chicago. And in case you didn't see, I uh, noticed Chicago just got a, a new black mayor. Uh, I don't have the brother's name in front of me, but uh, I liked I liked, you know, what I saw. Honestly, uh, I'm hoping that he's the real deal. We, we shall see. We shall see. Unfortunately, politics is kind of a tough place for black people. It's a tough place for black people to do things that are, are authentically beneficial to the black community. Uh, there's a lot of shenanigans, a lot of chaos, a lot of ridiculousness. But anyway, uh, let, let's hop in. Let's talk a little bit. How many of you heard about uh, the new uh, job? Uh, Stacey Abrams just got a new gig uh, with Howard University. Did anybody follow that? Anybody see that? Uh, that what went down with that? Uh, Stacey just got a new job as a chair. Uh, she is at Howard and she is the Ronald Walters uh, Endowed Chair on Race and Politics. Uh, and Ronald Walters, uh, ironically, is a brother that I knew. Um, I knew him before he passed. I used to talk to him regularly. I, I like this guy a lot. And, um, and I'm going to tell you, Ronald Walters, RIP this brother. If, if I wish y'all could have known him. Uh, I remember him, uh, him, him and I having some interesting conversations about just a lot of stuff. And, uh, and I really respected him a lot. So, so, this is, uh, so this is one of those people you should know about in black history. Uh, so uh, anyway, so Stacey Abrams uh, just took a job at Howard. Right. And uh, and so, you know, 
so 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 this is interesting to me. It's kind of a surprise. It's not a complete surprise, given that she is uh, in D.C. a lot. And uh, I know she probably wants to run for governor of California again, maybe or maybe she wants to run for something else. And she is a very political animal and uh, she's good at what she does. Uh, she's gotten a lot of votes. Uh, she almost became governor of Georgia which is impressive uh, to me. And I think that I see Stacey, politically speaking, as one of the most influential, uh, one of the most powerful uh, political figures in this country. And I think Howard is a great institution. I think they benefit from having her there. So here's what I want to kind of bring into the fold in terms of a conversation. Uh, you guys know I'm from academia. Uh, I spent uh, many years on the faculty of Syracuse University, so I know academia and academic politics. Um, I actually uh, was invited to apply for a position at Howard years ago, when, and I did, and I tried to uh, join the faculty in the 2000s, and I remember I got interviewed by a Chinese man. There was a Chinese man running the finance department at Howard University at that time, and I remember just sitting there thinking, how ridiculous is this? How weird is this that I have to convince a Chinese man that I'm capable of teaching African-American people? Well, and, you know, Is there a place in, is there anywhere? Give me a yes or no uh, if you know what I'm talking about. Give me a yes if you understand where I'm coming from. Uh, give me a yes if you if you think this is a, a legitimate question. But I said, how many places are there in China that I might go where I'm going to find an African American man who gets to interview Chinese people to decide if that Chinese person is qualified to teach other Chinese people? You think that that's what they allow in China? You think China would be okay with that? You think they would? They would just say, "Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense." Or do you think that they would say, "Yeah, that's a little bit weird. That's a little bit weird. We don't we don't allow that over here, right?" And I, and I bring that up only because uh, when I look at China, I see a nation that, uh, and I've taught in China. I, I spent uh, I, I taught uh, 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 some uh, Chinese students uh, finance for a while when I was over in China in Shanghai, one of my favorite cities on the planet best students I ever taught. And I learned a lot about uh, about cooperative economics. I learned about group politics in terms of working together as a group to achieve common goals. I learned uh, a lot of things about culture and how culture plays a role in your educational and economic outcomes. In fact, there was a study that showed, a study by the State Department showed that China is leading the United States in, I think they said, 37 out of 44 different technology categories, literally out of 44 different uh, tech categories, China was ahead of the United States. So China is in the middle of a 100 year plan for world economic domination, in case you don't know. Like a lot of y'all, how many of y'all seen where the Chinese are now lobbying the rest of the world to abandon the US dollar? Is anybody seeing that? Where the Chinese are basically going to parts of Africa, they're going to uh, some of the BRIC countries, they're going to places like you know Iran and Russia and other places, and trying to get them to abandon the U.S. dollar. Anybody else see that? So the Chinese are smart, they're slick, they work together, uh, they are able to uh, work together in lockstep to achieve common economic and political goals. Uh, China's pretty gangster with it, and uh, and so when I look at what I want the black community to become, and I look at power poweronomics models that are being applied everywhere. Shout out to Dr. Claude Anderson. Everybody needs to read Poweronomics. I really want you to contrast Chinese power to African-American power. That's what I want you to kind of look at. I want you to contrast Chinese sovereignty to African-American sovereignty, if there is such a thing, if we even have any sovereignty. I want you to know what it looks like to have you know, some element of self-determination, uh, educational and economic preparedness versus uh, you know, being sort of, you know, lost in the fold, stumbling behind white folks, waiting on white folks to give you resources, waiting on white folks to give you permission, waiting on white folks to give you 
uh, your blessing, right? This, 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 that's the contrast you need to pay attention to because there was a time where China was kind of negrofied, where China was sitting waiting for the United States, where China was a day late and a dollar short, where China was sort of looking for other bigger, stronger countries to give it permission to operate on its own behalf. And then they kind of came up with a China first kind of policy. They basically started uh, they started ending uh, the brain drain. They stopped sending their best scientists and best engineers and best thinkers to other countries. They started rewarding them for staying home in China. Uh, they, you know, they, they stopped uh, sort of, you know, sort of looking to the United States to sort of take the lead. They started taking their own lead. They started preparing their children for the future. They invest heavily in their children, right? In, in terms of what the children see in the media, uh, how the children are educated. China produces more engineers per year than the United States, Japan, and uh, the U.S., Japan, and uh, India combined. Did y'all know that? China produces more engineers than the U.S., Japan, and China, sorry, U.S., Japan, and India combined. And their engineers are better trained than our engineers. Uh, education is extremely important. And I saw this firsthand. I saw this in, in action when I taught in China. So with that being said, let's go, let's circle back to uh, Stacey Abrams and the whole, you know, Howard University thing. So when I look at uh, our institutions, and actually, as I do that, do me a favor, please hit the thumbs up button, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up, share, subscribe. And I want to remind you, I'm going to be in Houston on April 21st uh, doing a two-day Black Wealth Bootcamp. So if you'd like to join us in Houston, just go to voicewatkins.com. Also, voicewatkins.com, there's a list of AI stocks that, I, that I'm actually investing in that I believe are going to do well in the future. So if you're interested in investing and you want to get ahead of the curve uh, in terms of this AI being an investor is your opportunity to do that. So the list is right there on my website, voicewalkins.com. So feel free to take a look and you can also join us in Houston. All right. So here's what um, I'm, here's what my thoughts are. Right. So I saw Stacy, you know, get this really fancy job uh, at Howard and I and I was happy for her. I don't have anything against Stacey Abrams. Right. I, I watched her closely as she was running for governor and I was looking for any opportunity to really sort of support her. Now, here's the thing. I can't really get excited about a black political candidate just because uh, you convinced me that the Republican is a horrible guy, right? That's kind of the consistent argument that we get in politics. Well, you know, well, you don't like him, but what about the Republican? The Republican is terrible, blah, 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 blah. And then we got to keep the so-and-so out of office because it's going to be bad. You know, I'm, I can't make myself dumb enough. I, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I can't make myself dumb enough to fall for that argument. I just can't make myself dumb enough um, to get pumped up about you know, the fact that I'm afraid of a Republican. Republicans have been in office before, you know, black and, and nobody died. Nothing terrible. The black community wasn't burned down. We didn't all go to hell. I mean, now Joe Biden, you know, he did pass an incarceration bill that, you know, sent about you know half a million black people to prison, but or more. Right. It built, you know, thousands of prisons and hired 100,000 cops and all this other stuff. Right. But for the most part, you know, none of that really scares me. Right. Uh, in fact, instead, I, I don't really live on fear. I'd rather live on possibility. I'd rather say, well, instead of you telling me how scary the Republican is, um, why don't you tell me how great you are? Why don't you tell me what you're going to do that's going to actually improve the situation for the black community and, and show that in a substantive, meaningful way? Who are you speaking with? Are you speaking with intelligent people that really know solutions or are you ignoring those people and only talking to rappers? Right. This is another interesting thing that a lot of politicians do because politics is based on popularity. So in order to get the popularity, they'll say, well, instead of talking to Dr. Claude Anderson, who is one of the world's leading economic thinkers uh, in, in terms of black people, we're going to go talk to Cardi B, who, uh, you know, 
smokes weed and raps about her vagina. So it, so instead of talking to the thinker who actually has ideas that can benefit the black community, that can make black people smarter, stronger, and better, it's like, no, let's go talk to the rapper who raps about her vagina because that's what black people like. That's what's lit, right? And that unfortunately becomes uh, a paradox where eventually long-term you pay a price for that. Long-term, people start to peep it out. And they say, wait a minute, you're not actually making any progress you know, because you can't, if you want to fix black economics, you don't talk to, you talk to the economists. You don't talk to the person who's rapping about their vagina because that's not going to really help the black community get better unless you're convincing all of our little girls to sell vagina for a living. They could create an OnlyFans account and get rich off OnlyFans, right? So so my point is to say that, that sometimes politics gets ridiculous. Sometimes it gets so silly that it's really hard for any intelligent black person to even take it seriously. Uh, like, so for example, when they get caught up in the whole voting rights conversation and they make voting rights the most important thing in the world, like, like we gotta get our voting rights, we gotta protect our voting rights, we gotta protect our voting rights. Okay, I get that, I understand voting rights do matter, but this idea that voter ID laws are literally in the whole scope of all the things as a black man I gotta worry about. All the things as a black man that, that plague me, all the issues that I'm dealing with in, in, as, as a black person in America, you're telling me that getting a, a driver's license or an ID so I can vote is literally the number one obstacle in my oppression. That's literally the number one thing that I need to be waking up thinking about every single morning uh, in order to be fulfilled and whole and happy. Well, if you are laying out stupid, uh, stupid uh, math problems, you're going to get stupid solutions. If you're laying out a stupid framework, you're going to get a stupid conclusion. If you lay out uh, a stupid, if you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. So ultimately with politics, where I feel, and not feel so bad, but I really kind of want to reflect on Stacey Abrams and her, her position at Howard is I really want you to stop for a minute and say, okay, we know that this position at Howard is good for Stacey Abrams. Or we know this position at Howard is good for Howard. The question is what's really good for black people? And and so so I want you to really take a moment and look at my wife's a professor, too. And so we you know, she she does social work. You, you can wave if you want to. Babe. She's in the back. But um, anyway, she, so we talk about these things. Right. And and so 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 what I'm what I'm sitting there processing is this. If you look at a lot of our HBCUs, they're just financially dead. Like they're, they're just, you know, like poor Howard University. Great institution, but my Lord Jesus, every year there's like some controversy about students sleeping with in their dorm rooms with mold in the in the ceiling and and they can't, you know, have a place they, they, they can't stay, they don't have places to stay. They gotta stay at a local hotel. You know, like we we were literally we one of our kids said she might want to go to Howard and we were kinda like, is it safe? Like, okay, let's investigate, let's make sure she's gonna be good, because we can't get just drop her in DC you know, without knowing what's going to happen to her. Right. And uh, and so but it's no disrespect to the school. The school's a great school, produces a lot of great people. We know these things. Uh, but the question becomes, why is it that black institutions either don't exist or they are always left begging and borrowing? And uh, why is it that uh, that we don't have that sovereignty that, say, the Jewish community has the Jewish community uh, when they created Hollywood? They created Hollywood. Read that book, An Empire of Their Own, How the Jews Invented Hollywood. They did a great job of creating an economic empire that allows them to be self-sustaining. Hollywood isn't sitting around saying, gosh, you know, we could have made more movies, but the government didn't write a check. The government cut our funding. They're, they're not doing that. They're, 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 they've got business models that uh, impact the rest of the world that allow them to generate, you know, damn near a trillion dollars a year, I imagine that allows their community to do whatever the hell they want. And so I need y'all to really ask yourself this question, why is it that the Jewish community has this independent 
sovereign power and black people don't. I need y'all to ask you, give me a guess if you're following what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I really want to kind of lay this out slowly so we can process this because here's the thing. What media will tell you to do is they'll tell you, you know, when you see a Stacey Abrams, your first reaction is that's black girl magic. You know, I'm so excited about this black lady running for governor. Well, why? Well, what what does that do? I mean, what did, what is that really going to do? Is that Does that mean fewer kids are going to get murdered in Chicago in the streets? Uh, does that mean that black children, that we're not going to have these problems? Like, for example, did y'all know in Chicago, there are 55 schools, 55 schools that don't have a single child that can read or do math at grade level? Like, is that going to change? Like, are, are black people suddenly going to be in a good position? Are we going to have reparations? You know, and, and what was interesting with Stacey is I think Stacey understands these things. I think that, unfortunately, uh, black politicians are, um, they're kind of, unfortunately, become high paid slaves. Uh, they remind me of Burger King employees. And let me explain why. Like the black Democrats and you got the Roland Martin types that they rock with the Stacey Abrams. And they're all kind of like part of this black elite class, this black elite class of black people who, you know, they get together. They do the electric slide at the NAACP Image Awards. And they kind of feel like, look, mama, I made it. I'm successful and because they got fancy jobs and they went to school and they just feel, you know, like they're just they're just kicking it like they're flashy and everything else. But they don't really have a lot of power. They don't have any independent power it's usually borrowed power, right? It's like, I am somebody because Joe Biden hired me for a job, or I am somebody because this white owned company decided to make me the executive vice president of, of widget asses, right? Or whatever, right? Or I am somebody because I went to this big white university that stamped me with some seal of approval and gave me a degree or some sort of position that makes me feel like I'm an important person, right? And I think that's okay. I'm not judging any of that. I come from that space. I have a PhD myself from the Ohio State University, right? So, so I get it. I understand it. But here's the thing. When I started really thinking about power, I started becoming very frustrated. And I started saying, wait a minute, we are so... Uh, we are the, the fancy educated Negroes who have all the degrees and all the letters behind our name, but we're still running around here begging, borrow, begging, borrowing, angry and frustrated. Right? We, we, we're running around here mad because, uh, you know, white folks won't do right by us and we don't get what we deserve. Uh, our community, our community turns to us and our community says, OK, you're the you're the talented 10th. You are the elite. You're the ones who who made it out of the ghetto. Can you help us? What can you do for us? You know, we need businesses in our communities. And we're like, well, we don't know how to start no business. All I know how to do, I don't know how to start no business. I don't know how to start no business. All I know how to do, I can go to my ball. I go to my ball, my ball. I work for Google. I works for Google, and Google can set up a business. They can go set up a business in your neighborhood. And then, and then, or or I show up and I say, I'm creating this black-run entity, but it's backed. It's usually backed by something else, right? It's like so. So I compare it to like this lamp, right? Like this lamp. This lamp is lit, right? This lit. You got a lot of lit black people out here, right? Just like this lamp. This lamp is lit, right? And it looks like this lamp has power because this lamp would, is lit because there's power flowing through this lamp. But let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Does this lamp have any real power? Is this lamp an independent power base? Does this lamp have any power or does this lamp borrow its power from the power source? From the power source. Right. So so black people, we're the lamp. We're lit. We're at the NAACP Image Awards doing the electric slide because we're so lit. Right. So but but we're, we're not the power base. We're not the power source. We don't understand what independent power looks like. We don't know how to accumulate power. We beg for power. We borrow power. We have borrowed power. Right. And then when the power source 
decides it don't want to back us up anymore, when we decide when they decide we can get a little bit too black, what happens? They shut our power off. Our power goes away. Our power disappears. Right. So that so-called pretend power that you used to have where you were the littest Negro in the room is now gone because suddenly you decided that you care more about your community than you care about the Democratic Party. Or because you care more about actually helping black people than simply being some sort of symbolic diversity hire for some major corporation that gets to run around and claim that black lives matter. Right. Yo, so, so, so what I'm saying here is this. If you look at Howard and I, again, I love Howard. I, I like the school. I, the great history. I don't I don't even dislike Stacey Abrams. I, I really feel bad for her. And again, I, I use that comparison of the Burger King employee. Uh, to talk about some of our educated black people. Uh, they're like they're like the Burger King employee in the sense that the Burger King employee has lots of access to food, right? You, everybody's hungry. Uh, Burger King gives you a job. They put a uniform on you. You have access to all the food. You can feed the whole community with the food that you have back there in that freezer. But what, what if Burger King says, yeah, you can have access to the food, uh, but that's our food. You can serve it if we give you permission and you must serve it to the customers that pay. And so let's say that your family members come in and they all say, hey, man, you know, I heard you have access to all this food. Like, that's really cool. You know, and I'm really hungry. Can you feed me? Well, let's say the cameras are on you and you're like, look, man, I, I can't feed you because, you know, boss is watching. Right. I can't I can't do anything for you right? because I got to do what my boss says. So so really, even though I'm your cousin I, and I've loved you my whole life and you know me and I know you and we're connected. I, in that moment, I'm not really your cousin. I'm not, I'm not, it's not like I'm your cousin who happens to be a Burger King employee. I'm a Burger King employee who happens to be your cousin, right? So, so the way I deal with you, I might slide you, uh, an, you know, an, an extra French fry. Maybe I can get you a little cheeseburger or something, but I can't really feed you because that food in the back ain't really my food, right? Like I, I, but I look like I have something because they put the uniform on me and I'm now representing Burger King. So that's what I see when I see black politicians. I see high, highly educated Burger King employees. They have access to millions, maybe billions of dollars in resources. They have connections with corporations that can sign a billion dollar check like it ain't nothing. They have access to everything you need. They can feed the whole hood. They can start a thousand black businesses. They can help every black person on earth that wants to have, uh, that, that want, they can help every black person on earth that wants to have a, a business or a school that's independently run, they can help all those people instantaneously if they had access to the resources in the back. But the problem is that that's not theirs. It doesn't belong to you. Even your black institutions, it's questionable as to whether or not they really belong to you. Because if they were really yours, then you wouldn't have to like shut your doors because, you know, somebody didn't write a check. You know, I, I like for, I give you an example. Notre Dame, you know, Catholic school, whatever, you know, I bet you Notre Dame could keep the doors open even if the government stopped funding them. I don't know, but maybe I'm wrong. But I, I think that they probably could. I bet you if the Jewish community, whatever, like the, if you look at go to Louisville, Kentucky, some other cities where they have a Jewish hospital, I'm willing to bet you that the Jewish hospital could continue to function even if the government decided they weren't going to write any more checks. But can HBCUs function without, you know, government support? Um, can, you know, when you look, you know, so, so, so what I, what I'm really thinking about here 
is I think that maybe as a community, it's very important for us to have a conversation about the difference between flash and symbolism, excuse me, symbolism and substance or flash and substance, right? Because flash and symbolism are kind of the same thing. You have a lot of flashy black people. We're as flashy as they come. We, we get the fancy titles. All that has to occur is a white person has to put us on TV. And if a white person puts us on TV, we uh, start to believe and we start to be seen as a so-called successful black person. But the question is, is that real power or does that come with the perception of power? Is that substantive power or is that just flashy power? Um, and so when I look at Stacey Abrams, I remember when Stacey was running for governor this last time in Georgia. Um, I had not seen anything in the campaign that made me feel like, you know, like really getting out there. I don't live in Georgia, but if I but I do have a house there. And if I was a resident of Georgia, I and I have a lot of people that support us that, that are from Georgia. When I go do stuff in Atlanta, there's a lot of people, a lot of you show up and I love you for that. Um but I couldn't find any reason to really get excited about what was going on in the campaign because I was like, well, what's really going to happen for black people that's really going to change our lives, you know? And I remember toward the end of the campaign, when it was really getting close, she was reaching out to that massive group of black people who've kind of risen above the politics. You know, the the people, the Tariq Nasheed, Vicki Dillard crowd, you know, the people that uh, that that are very critical of politics, the people that are demanding things like reparations and and tangibles and things like that. And I noticed that Stacey was tweeting things. She started doing interviews where she started talking about black men in her life and how important those black men were in shaping her. And I said, oh, I get it. She's campaigning toward black men. Nothing wrong with that. That's fine. And then I saw where she was tweeting stories about her dad and and using hashtags like reparations and tangibles and everything else. And uh, and I and I said, OK, so she's really they're really trying to get the, the black men in particular to kind of come along with the ride. And the problem with that was I said, you know, I appreciate the fact that you're tweeting these things. I appreciate the fact you're talking about things like reparations. But I don't really think it's fair to ask black people to go out and give you a vote based on what you promised them that you're going to think about possibly doing once you get elected. I think that what's better, Stacey Abrams, is that you can show a track record of spending the last four years in between gubernatorial runs where you have specifically done meaningful work on behalf of the black community on a substantive way. Because at that point, I think that there are black people that are smart enough that they can spot real work versus the fake. Like, so for example, um, people stand beside Louis Farrakhan, you know, till the end, no matter what people say, the media has been working overtime to try to get you to hate Farrakhan. But a lot of people are like, no, no, no. I, I see I see the nation of Islam out here doing what they're doing. I see them opening doors for black women and, and, and doing work in the community. No, no, no. I see the nation of Islam. They're willing to go down to neighborhoods that even the police won't go to in Chicago. They're consistent. Like people know who was there for them consistently. It's almost like when you talk about like 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 if you have two parents that raise a baby. Right. And one child, one parent lives with the child. The other one doesn't. And let's say that you have the other child, the parent that doesn't live with the child has a lot of money and they take the kid to Disney World. They send them fancy gifts at Christmas and on birthdays. But but when the child gets older, who are they more connected to? Are they connected to the person who you know takes them to Disney World once a year? Or are they connected to the person who was there for them every single day? The person who woke them up and took them to school every day. The person who was there for them when they were sick. The person who was there for them when they had a problem. The person whose shoulder they could cry on when they had an issue, right? That's the person they're gonna remember, right? So ultimately, you know, with, with Stacey Abrams, I just said, I think I tweeted toward her. I try to be polite because sometimes I sound mean and it scares people and I don't want to be mean, but I kind of said, you know, 
you are, ma'am, one of the most important, most significant, most um, well-known black women on the entire earth. You have connections to uh, corporations and institutions that have billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of resources. I said, now, if you really wanted to convince uh, black people to give you the support that you would like to have, um, then I would encourage you to not wait until you get some sort of state sanction power to do something. I think you can do a lot of stuff without necessarily being validated by the state. You don't have to be in the governor's office for you to really do meaningful work on behalf of black people. In fact, being in the governor's office probably makes it harder for you to do work on behalf of black people. It's probably easier to do work on behalf of black people when you're not hamstrung by the nonsense of Democrat and Republican politics. That's one of the reasons why I've told you guys. Some of y'all have jokingly said, Dr. Boyce, you need to run for mayor. You need to run for this, run for that. I ain't running for nothing. I ain't running for nothing. Because you know what? I'm the mayor of B1 City, right? I'm the mayor of this town. I have independent power bases that allow me to do things where I don't have to ask for permission. I don't got to sit down and beg the committee. I don't have to wait for a white man to sign a check. I don't have to wait for somebody to say it's okay. I can just do stuff and, and show you who I am just by what I do on a daily basis. See, the thing is that we have to stop really sort of, we have to be careful about being caught up in the idea of symbolic white sanctioned Democratic Party, Republican Party sanctioned power, because I don't think that that's real power. And I don't think that that's real power that really truly works on behalf of black people. A black person who is sanctioned and put into power by the Democratic Party does not work for the black community. They work for the Democratic Party, as they should. You're going to work for the people that fund you. You're going to work for the people that pay your bills. You're not going to work for somebody who's, who's sitting on the sidelines that didn't even finance your campaign. You think, what, you think they work for the voters? You really think that they work for the voters? No, no, they work for the people that gave them the money that allows them to buy the voters, right? That's how the game works. They, they get their, their, their campaign contributions. That's pretty much marketing money that they put out to market to you, to get to make you think that they're relatable, and then they get your vote, and they're basically buying you. So black people are not a beneficiary of American politics. We are a commodity within the American political system, right? We're not the person who shows up to dinner so you can eat a good meal. You're the chicken who's invited to dinner so that you can become somebody, a meal for somebody else. That's what you are. You are bought and sold and paid for so that the people that get in power can take care of the people that gave them the money to come and buy you and buy your vote, right? That's where they get these videos, no voting, no fucking, and, and, and voter die and all these campaigns and they, pay, they buy the celebrities and all this other stuff and they use all these little tactics, so from fear to, to just whatever the nonsense, oh, we gotta get Trump out of office, blah, blah, blah. I, Trump, you know, what's funny about Trump is Trump didn't become more of a villain or less of a villain to me because he became political. Suddenly he became America's greatest villain because he was a Republican instead of a Democrat. I never liked the guy before he ran for office. I don't like him now. But my opinion of him did not change just because he was a Democrat or a Republican. And that's one of the things that really concerns me about black people's allegiance to these broader colonialized institutions that pretty much tell you what to do. Let me just say it like this. Let you go back to Stacey Abrams and Howard and the fancy job she got at Stacey Abrams. Congratulations to Stacey. Again, it's the Ron Walters chair. I loved Ron Walters. I knew him. Me and him talked extensively. We would talk on the phone. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. 
I think it's awesome. Good for them. It looks beautiful. But here's the problem. Black people. You will never have independent power until you learn how to think in a way that is conducive to the development of independent power. You cannot build and create your own institutions and your own economic possibilities and your own uh, sociopolitical and intellectual realities until you learn how to put your shovel in the sand and dig and build something new. Real power cannot be borrowed from someone else's institution. It, It does not work that way. It's faster. You borrow somebody's car, it's faster than saving up money and buying your own. But you, but it's still their car. They could take that car away anytime they want. They could, they're, they're going to drive it wherever they want to drive that car to. So ultimately, one of the reasons that I believe black people don't have a lot of power in America is because we are so beholden to various institutions that do not give a damn about our community on a fundamental level. Nor should they. It's not even their job. I'm not even mad at them. I'm not mad at a white man for taking care of other white people. I'm just not. I, that maybe I'm just. Maybe I'm. Maybe I don't fit your sensitivity cords. Maybe I should be sitting around here crying and, and, and waiting for some white man to tell me Black Lives Matter. Well, if I know my life matters, then I don't really need him to tell me that my life matters. I, I know it matters. I, I know that my kids' lives matter. That's why it's my job to protect my kids. I'm not going to ask the guy down the hall. You know, I'm in a hotel, so I'm not going to ask the guy down the hall to care about my kids. That's my job. Right. If something happens to them and they're on the beach, we're in, we're in Hawaii right now. If they're on the beach and one of them's drowning, it's my job to save them from the water. Not his. I'm not going to get mad at him and say, why didn't you save my child? You should you should have been out there. No, I'm going to be like, boys, why weren't you out there? Your daughter needed you. Right. So ultimately, with with us as black people, if you look in some of the key areas where we're really, really struggling, you know, let's look at education. Your, your education is struggling because you are beholden to this false idea that you must gather up all your children, your trillion dollar resource, your, your, your future. They, they represent your future. You've been led to falsely believe, particularly by your political leaders, that your job as a black person is to gather up your chillums and send all your chillums to the nice white lady down at the school, at the public school, and they're supposed to take responsibility for the education of your child. And then when your child comes out of high school, and that kid is 18 years old and still can't read, write, or do math, or they're somehow coming up with these interesting ideas like that a child should be able to get gender reassignment surgery at the age of six, you're, you're confused. You're frustrated. Well, it was, think about it. It was your fault because you were the one who somehow bought into this false idea that white people are supposed to be educating black children. Or that white institutions are supposed to be educating black children or that they're supposed to shape the rules under which our children are educated. Right. So you feel disempowered from the educational process of your child and you're very frustrated and you say, dang it, that school, they're messing up my kids. And and I try to talk to the teacher. The teacher doesn't respect me and blah, blah. But that's your child. How in the hell somebody took, took, took over your kid? Well, that's colonialism, black people. That's colonialism. What needs to occur? What's the solution? Uh, You know, I'm a mathematician. I like solutions. Uh, The solution is that we need to have billions of dollars directed toward the funding, independent, no holds barred, no questions asked funding of black run schools. 
Do you know how many do you know how many outstanding homeschool networks there are in this country that could literally be superpowered overnight if you just wrote them big enough checks to allow them to do what they could really do? Do you know how many black educators there are out here that are dying to to educate kids like you get them all together in a neighborhood? They can educate those kids 10 times better than the public school. Seriously. But but think about this. But there is a again, because you are a commodity. You are a commodity. You're like oil and gas inside an engine because you are a commodity. There are people that are always going to fight you on that, particularly things like teachers, teachers, labor unions and all that, because they make money by not educating your child. They make money in all those 55 Chicago public schools that where not one single child can read at grade level. They're making millions, if not billions of dollars by not educating your child, by having your child in that seat. They're getting paid and, and none of this money is coming to the black community. So so what you're trained to do in politics is instead of being trained to say, give us money so I can get my own child educated. You're trained to say we need to get more funding for the public school, give more money to the white ladies educating my kids so they can do a better job. That's what you're trained to do. And I'm just here to say that's a bunch of bull crap. That's a bunch of nonsense. That's the disruption to your sovereignty on a very fundamental level. You know, so but but it's our beholden, you know, the fact that we're so beholden to this Democrat Republican stuff that you're scared to think outside that box. And then next thing you know, you end up being stuck and you get your child is stuck in that school to prison pipeline. Um, What's another area? Do me a favor, by the way, please hit the thumbs up button. Thumbs up, share, subscribe. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. My website is boycewatkins.com. Um, I did a training that you guys will like. I think it's called uh, how to make money without working. You guys know my PhDs in finance, and I love to talk about wealth to the black community, the black business school. We've educated over 10 million people on how to invest, and it's been done at a fraction of the cost. Uh, I left Syracuse University to do that, and it's working. It's working very, very well. We, we I met a brother on the street in Hawaii. I kid you not, just, just today. And uh, he, he grabbed his son, and he said, this is the guy. This is the guy. This is the guy. We got we got his flashcards. Son, tell him what you know. Tell him. So his son, his nine-year-old son, was reciting financial concepts that most college students don't know. His son's literally was sitting there, his nine-year-old son, you know, he's kind of bored because he's a kid. He didn't, his dad was excited, but the son was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, okay, uh, capital, uh, leverage, uh, investment. Uh, okay, so banking systems, where they operate is da da da, -da. Like, like this nine-year-old kid was reciting all this stuff. So, so we have that ability to educate our own. We have the ability to elevate our own people. We know what our people need. We know what our people need. I'm not looking to Massa to give me the prescription that's going to make my people better. Like, Matt, boss, we sick. No, no, no. No, y'all are sick. I'm well. <laughs> like, y'all are sick. We healthy over here. The intelligent black people are as healthy as ever because you understand what your family needs. All you really want from them is like, look, don't get, I don't need you to tell me how to do it. I don't need no instruction manual from you. I don't need any interference from you because you're a distraction. All I need you to do is give me the money you owe me, this thing called reparations, write me the check, and then we got this. We got the rest. We'll, we'll do the rest over here. right? That, that, and, that, and what happens is that because you've got these political types that are paid money to manage black people, they're not black leaders. They, they're portrayed as black leaders, but really they're Negro managers. They manage black people, corral you up, again, because you're a commodity, and they deliver you to the political power structure. They deliver you to Joe Biden. They deliver you to whoever's running for governor because that's how they make their money, right? So so ultimately, because you got these people in the middle, these ridiculous middlemen from organizations like the NAACP, 
you get derailed in your ability to truly pursue the purpose that's most beneficial to your people. You can't tell me on any day of the week that black people, if given the resources, intelligent black people can't give our community everything that we need. You can't you cannot convince me of that. Uh, you know, we, we can we can run the universities. We can run the schools. We can run the businesses. We can own the land. We can take care of the babies. We we can even run the damn hospitals. You know how many black doctors and surgeons are out here that would love to to operate, help run a black owned hospital if they could get their reparations money. And so you have the NAACP in San Francisco with this old guy, you know, God bless him. His name was Amos something. He, he wrote, he marched with Dr. King. Thank you for your service, sir, but you need to be retired. And he stepped in literally and said, no, 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 no. I, we reject the black people getting the money directly. We reject that proposal. We need more government programs. We need more government programs. And, and I'm like, dude, there's, there's already been a billion government programs and they they don't work. What are you talking about? So, so ultimately, sometimes your enemies are people that actually look like you, and it's and and it's not uh, and it's not a surprise because this happens all around the world. They do this not just in the United States. This is done anywhere. Anywhere colonialism exists, this is the blueprint. This is the playbook. You know, this is why. Why do you think you have so many countries around the earth right now that are getting together and talking each other into rejecting the U.S. dollar as their primary currency? Why do you think? Think about this. China's power play right now is they're going to African countries, they're going to Russia, they're going to Iran, they're going to Brazil, they're going all over South Africa, all these parts of the world, and they're saying we want you to reject the U.S. dollar and do business with us. Why do you think that so many countries are like, hell yeah, I went to Ghana last year and I talked to so many leaders who were like, you know, who were like, gosh, you know, we we don't like the all this Chinese involvement here, but the U.S. is unbelievable. They're so overbearing. Well, the reason they're rejecting the United States and they don't want their dollars, they don't want their influence is because colonialism is so damn judgmental and self-righteous and white supremacist. It is so built on this false idea that that the best thing that a white society can do for black people is to teach you how to be more like them. Right. That who you are isn't right. OK, we need to go to Uganda because we got to teach them that, that being gay is a wonderful thing. I'm not saying that it's not. And it is. You can have your own opinion on that. But I do think that it's OK for people to say, you know what, maybe with y'all's conversations about you know, gayness and transgender, that ain't the same conversation that black people really want to have when we're sitting alone and by ourselves. It doesn't mean we hate anybody. I don't. Again, this is not anti nothing. Right. I got people in my family that, that are of different persuasions and make different choices and all these other things or, or just are different people let's just say that but the, the reality is that i think you probably want to consider it or at least hopefully you'll agree with me when i say i'm tired of white people leading important black conversations i'm tired of them you know i'm tired of like that power structure that white supremacist power structure deciding you know, what we're allowed to care about, what we can't care about, what we're allowed to think and what we're not allowed to think, what we're allowed to do, what we're not allowed to do, what we're allowed to be outraged about and what we shouldn't be outraged about. Like like when you tell me that I have to be outraged about a police shooting, but I can't be outraged about what many call black on black crime. Like, no, 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 no. Black on black crime doesn't exist. It doesn't exist because, you know, white people kill each other. too. I, OK, I get that. But but I got three homies that were shot in the hood and there's a problem over here, motherfucker. Excuse my French. There is a problem over here. But I got 
a bunch of damn kids that I know that, that can't even walk to school every day because they might get shot by somebody who ain't a white police officer, who's not a KKK member, who's not a Trump supporter. He's not a proud boy. He's another dude that looks just like him who's going to kill him for his Jordans. That's a problem. Stop telling me how to label it and let me fix the damn thing. But you can't fix it because you don't have your sovereignty. You don't have the sovereignty. You're waiting for CNN to begin a dialogue. Let's have a dialogue on CNN. We have a town hall as we try to corral all the Negroes to get them to vote for the Democrats. who say, what's going on in the black community? Why are so many young people being killed? Right. Then it's like, oh, we got to get it. We got to deal with this problem. Well, the reason that you only start dealing with the problem is that you only deal with it when they give you permission to talk about it because they have sovereignty over you because you don't have any real power. You have borrowed power. Again, you're like this lamp. This lamp looks like it has power because it's lit. You got a lot of lit Negroes out here, but this lamp does not have any power. This lamp is not the power source. The wall is the power source. So uh, so your power, unfortunately, you have to understand what power actually looks like. And let me tell you, independent black power, it ain't flashy. You know, you, you ain't never going to see Dr. Boyce chilling with the celebrities at the BET Awards. You're not going to see that. You're not going to see me in a Hollywood blockbuster movie. Um, you're not going to see me sitting on Capitol Hill, uh, you know, eating with the president of the United States. That probably won't happen in my lifetime. I don't expect it to have, nor do I care. Um, it, but, but the thing is that I made a choice. I made a choice. I made a choice to say, yeah, you know, I had a fancy job when I was teaching. Actually, let me just tell you honestly, God truth. When I was teaching at Syracuse University, I got a lot of opportunities to be in mainstream media because Syracuse has one of the best journalism schools in the country. So when my publicist would call CNN, MSNBC or whatever, I always got instant respect because I was a professor at Syracuse because so many of the producers and people that ran these shows came out of Syracuse. So I had I had to hook up, I had some connects. But but the frustration I had was. I said, I'm a little bit annoyed because y'all ain't really trying to have a real conversation here. You're, you're, you're telling me, you're giving me three minutes to talk about something that ain't even relevant. I can't even get to the heart of the issue. What am I doing here? There's no progress being made by me showing up on TV. Now, of course, your family's like, oh, I saw you on TV. I see you on CNN, man. You're doing it. Right. And when you're young, that feeds your ego. You're like, yeah, look at me. I'm on TV, mama. But then you get older, you're like, man, what am I doing with my life? And that's when I realized, I said, okay, Boyce, your problem is that you're leaning on borrowed power instead of digging <clears throat> your shovel in the ground and building independent power. So what I did was I started um, when I was writing for AOL Black Voices and I wrote for them for free. That's the thing. That's the key thing I'm telling you. If you you, you got to invest in yourself, Right. I wrote for them for free. They they, you know, they 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 couldn't pay me, so I said, "Don't worry about paying me. I'll write for you for free." And I wrote hundreds of articles for them for absolutely nothing. And what I did at the same time was I was building an email list. I said, "I got to connect to my people. I got to build independent black-owned media." And then I started doing stuff on YouTube. And as a result, over the last twelve years, I've probably done twenty thousand YouTube videos, so that that I accumulate over a million subscribers on different YouTube channels. It's hard because when you're talking about pro-black stuff. There are people that have a direct interest in muting those voices. There are people out here that don't really want to hear real solutions because they have a vested interest in seeing black people blind, deaf, dumb, and disabled. 
they like that because the biggest way a pimp can have power over the hoe, and you are the hoe, black people. I'm sorry, you, you, y'all the hoes. The biggest way a pimp can have power over a hoe is when the hoe feels like she has no hope. If you take hope away from the hoe, then the hoe becomes easily pimped, right? There, there can't be any hope. There can't be any other way other than to go through the pimp. So the pimp, your pimps are the Democratic Party. Right. Look, you're black. You can't do anything for yourselves. You can't build anything. You own nothing. You have no power. Your only hope for, for protection from the Republicans is 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 us. If you vote for me, then I can protect you. But if you don't vote for me, then you, you people are done. Right. Uh, your other pimps are corporate America. Uh, you many of you end up on the corporate plantation because you're indoctrinated for a 12 year period to go spend 100,000 hours of your black owned labor and give it away to big white corporations that are going to make their families wealthy by getting you and your children to come work for them because you because you it's a, it's, a, it's connected to a form of status. Uh, you are also pimped by the media, which directly controls how you view almost everything uh, during the pandemic. You saw it right there. You saw. And, and I'm proud of a lot of you because a lot of you resisted in the sense that. Uh, I'm not telling you you should have been pro or anti-vax. That's up to you. But at least you took the time to engage in critical thinking and find some way to form your own perception of things as opposed to simply going along with whatever your favorite celebrity was telling you to do because that celebrity was being paid by either Big Pharma or the Democratic Party or both. They were all getting paid from the same kitty, the same billion dollars or so, multiple billions of dollars coming from Big Pharma was going into their pocket to get them to get on the radio and say, hey, y'all, everybody go get to jail. Everybody go get to jail. Now, I'm not saying that it's a problem for you to get it. Some, I know some of you did, some of you didn't. I'm not judging that. What I'm saying is, did you even take a moment to even think about what they were trying to do for you, to give you? Like, did you even take a moment to say, okay, let's do some critical analysis here? Analysis here, and 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 you know, I mean, because I sat there in the middle, I wasn't gonna be stupid. I'm not a person. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not gonna believe that anything that they give me is gonna kill me automatically. But I'm gonna look at the data. I'm looking at the statistics. I'm like, okay, I'm a forty at that time. I'm almost a fifty year old black man. Uh, okay, that made that puts me in a risk category. Uh, what's the percentage? What are the odds? I'm looking at the data. Data. I'm looking at the numbers and I'm like, OK, I get it now. OK, I got about a, 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 a one half of one percent chance of dying if I catch it. Right. So I'm OK with those odds. I can live with those odds. That's it. That's my choice. I'm going to make that decision based on what I want, not on what you're telling me to do, because I don't really know exactly what the hell you're putting in that in that in that thing. And also, I know people I had a friend who took it and he had a heart attack at the age of 38. That made me uncomfortable. And Mark Lamont Hill, if you don't know, if you don't go check, go look it up. Mark Lamont Hill sitting up in the hospital, 38 years old, heart attack. How the hell did that happen? What's going on here? Right. Why can't black people ask those questions? What makes you so scared to just sit back and say something ain't right? Wait a minute, y'all, hold up, wait, wait, y'all moving kind of fast here. This is this is this is kind of crazy, right? Why is it that there were medical doctors? My sister is a medical doctor. Why does that suddenly not mean anything when my sister is saying, "I'm not, I'm not taking that shot." <laughs> my sister, medical doctor, <laughs> Dr. Christina Parks, PhD in um, cell and molecular biology from the University of Michigan, is like. You need to think twice before you do this. I'm not saying that you should agree with them at all. I'm not saying that because I know some of you are pro, some of you are anti. So don't get scared of the conversation. I'm saying, why in the hell can't we just have our own discussion? Why do we always got to do what boss tells us to do? Why are we always following masses lead? Because if the Democrats had been telling us to do something different, we'd have been all doing something different. 
And what I'm saying to you in general, and, and this goes back to what the thoughts that I had, but I saw the thing with Stacey Abrams and Howard University and all that is like you black people, black people, you will never have any real power until you truly overcome the colonialism that infects almost every aspect of your existence. It infects almost every aspect of your existence. I was talking about all the different ways that you are pimped uh, from childhood, starting with the public school system to uh, the Democrat Republican nonsense to the corporate plantation. How many of you even, how many of you are hamstrung by things like student loans? How many of you, um, you know, have things you would probably be able to accomplish in your life financially if you didn't have 50,000, 80,000, 100,000 in student loans? In fact, if you're brave, put the amount of your student loans in the chat. Put that, put, put it in there. I want you, I want, I want to, let's do this, right? And I know, I know it's out there. I know it's out there because, uh, you know, I, I taught on college campuses. I taught at the University of Kentucky, Indiana University, Syracuse University, the Ohio State University, et cetera. So I know that the student loans are kicking you all up in your ass. I, I know it, right? So I want you to process this. Process this. Black wealth is going down, right? You, you, your wealth, you, you own more businesses 100 years ago. You have more land 100 years ago than you have today. Um, your wealth is going down. You know, a lot of largely because your most educated black people don't know anything about building real independent economic power. They they're not thinking like the Rockefellers and the and the the Rothschilds or like um what's the guy uh Bernard Arnault who owns Gucci and Louis and Cartier and all that. You're not you're not thinking that way. You're thinking like employees. You're thinking okay, let me just see if I can get a job with it, right? So the student loan debt is such a hilarious um construct it's it's hilarious because it's almost like ironically funny in the sense that that your wealth is going down and a lot of it is because you have gone deeply in debt to white institutions that are getting rich off of your family money like they're getting rich the universities are building bigger football stadiums because they don't just get your student loan money they also get your best athletes they are buying up entire black blocks of city blocks that black people used to live on and gentrifying those entire blocks because they got the money to do it. And, and so, but you walk away and you broke and with a ton of debt, but you got a piece of paper. And what does that piece of paper give you the license to do? The piece of paper, again, because we need our permission from white people, our piece of paper gives us permission to go out and work for some white owned corporation and spend the rest of our lives working at our desk until we die at our desk one day. Um, and with, with nothing to show for it, you know, so, so, so really what you have to do is you have to understand the difference between, um, borrowed power, which typically does not come in the form of following along with systems that were designed to commodify black people. And you have to understand what it means to dig independent power, to digging your shovel into the ground and really doing the work necessary to build true independent power. So HBCUs like Howard University, one way they can do that and they can really shore up their donor base long term is you got to produce an army of black entrepreneurs with and find some way to give them access to tremendous amounts of capital. That means that, you know, out of out of, you know, it's, it's hilarious. Um, Sharif Abdul Abdul Sharif Abdul Malik, who runs We Buy Black. He learned uh, to run a business from his parents because he said my daddy was a hustler and my mama, I think his mama was a social worker. And, uh, and so he, his parents taught him how to run a business. So he was at Howard and he said, I went to the business school because I thought that they would all know more things about how to run a business than I do. He said none of the business school students even knew how to run a business. All they knew how to do was get jobs. 
And so when you look at HBCUs and the fact that they don't have access to independent funding, it's all sort of coming from the government or corporations that, that make donations or whatever. Um, it, it's because you don't have that base of people that have become the mega millionaires or the billionaires that can really write those 50, $100 million checks that you need in order for your institution to move forward. When you go to most major universities and you find like they have a big building with somebody's name on it, it's usually the name of somebody who went and founded like, the, you know, I went to one school and they said, oh, the, the, the co-founder of NVIDIA bought us this building. Right? So so the question becomes, are you building people that have the ability to create independent power or are you sort of living in this world where um, it's more of a um, of, of a really uh, almost idealistic commitment to uh, this this nonsense that we were taught in school called equality? where uh, somehow you can serve white people for your entire life and yet still be treated as if you were white. Um, and, and, and that does not work. And the reason I know that doesn't work is because I can show you a room full. If you show me any room full of black professionals and you ask them to tell their stories about racial disparities that they experience on the job, there will be enough stories to take up the whole entire weekend. They will be telling stories and shutting the building down. They will be telling stories for the next three days because they don't feel that they're being properly treated or properly respected in their environment. And a lot of them are trapped. It's like, okay, I got all these student loans. I don't know how to create an institution of my own. Um, in fact, I don't want to, not only can I not do it, but I really don't want to do it because it's not part of my culture to dig my shovel in the ground and build independent power. So instead, I'd rather just go borrow power. I can go sign a contract, get a fancy job with some uh, some other well-branded, you know, shiny institution. And then I look important. I look like I've really accomplished something and I get to somehow make fun of and look down on that poor, pathetic SOB who was dumb enough to give, give up all of this and go create something of his own. Right. So, for example, um, when I left Syracuse and I went to start the black business school, it took a long time for anybody to really even respect what I was trying to do. Uh, my lack of an institutional affiliation reduced the credibility that people had toward me, even though my doctorate, I learned from some of the best scholars on the entire planet. But if I were coming to you and I said, oh, I'm Dr. Boyce Watkins and I'm on the faculty at Yale. Well, then a lot of black people would be like, oh, well, he's from Yale. That means something. Right. But if I say I'm Dr. Boyce Watkins and I don't want to teach at Yale, I want to teach black people. And I created my own institution. It almost comes off like a joke. Right. It almost comes off like a joke. Right. So ultimately, what I'm saying to you is part of that is cultural. Part of that is cultural in the sense that you've been trained from an early age to really look up to white people. And you've been trained from an early age to look up to what white people have built. Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why if I go to a, a group of well, well off, highly, highly paid athletes and I say, um, you know, you, you, you have a choice. You can either own 5% of the Denver Broncos or you can go and take that same money and invest in the development of a black owned independent sports league. A lot of them would say no. Number one, because uh, being affiliated with the Denver Broncos is an instant uh, elevation <clears throat> in status. Like I'm with the Denver Broncos. Look at me. Look at my boss. You know, this is my team and I'm a part of this team. And, and that, that makes me important. But then also the other route of creating something that involves independent power requires something that culturally we don't always have, which is uh, patience, uh, the ability to kind of wait it out and build something from the ground up that takes a while to do. Uh, it requires vision. 
right? The vision, the ability to see something 20 years down the line, as opposed to looking at what it is right now. It also requires a lot of something that some of us lack, which is basic self-esteem. Basic self-esteem is where uh, you say, you know what? I don't really need a label for me to feel like I'm an important person. I know I'm important even without your labels, right? And sometimes maybe you have to have a few labels to know that they don't mean anything. But a lot of us as black people, and this starts, this indoctrination, remember the pimping starts early. So the indoctrination starts very early where you're taught to feel like you ain't nothing but a Negro. And the only way you're going to be somebody is if one day some fancy white person comes along and gives you an opportunity or gives you some sort of job or let you into some university. If you don't believe me, here's an example. I want you to go to LinkedIn and I want you to look at, at any post where somebody talks about some new job that they got. Oh, I am now the associate dean at Harvard University of blah, blah, blah. Or I am now the uh, senior manager of widgets at Google. Right. Look at how many likes and how many comments there are. Congratulations. Way to go, girl. That's really great. Blah, 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 blah. Right. And that's because they're sort of seeing this enhanced value in your very being because you're now associated with this institution. But what I'm here to tell you is that that's very dangerous and it's very costly to the black community, because when you're taking those shortcuts of borrowing power, you're never actually doing the work to build the independent power. So the, the big institutions that should exist for us, the black version of the NFL, the black version of Google, the black version of Facebook, the black version of Walmart, never see, never comes into existence because there's nobody around to be able to really nurture that vision long enough to allow it to grow and to allow it to build and succeed and become something meaningful for somebody, right? So, so what I'm just saying is at the end of the day, when you look around and you look at the black community, again, you know, I see Stacey Abrams and her new job at Howard. And uh, honestly, I, I, I get a little bit sad because I just don't feel like stuff like that means a whole lot. Um, it just makes you feel good symbolically because we are, um, because our, our self-esteem is low, right? And we kind of feel like, like, okay, so, so Stacey's important. Why is she important? Well, because she got a bunch of votes from, um, you know, a lot of white people and some black people too. And the Democratic Party has endorsed her and these corporations have given her money. So that automatically by default, by you know, makes her a de facto black leader. Um, I don't see people in that position necessarily as the leaders in the community. I think the leaders in the community really are the people who have enough vision to make an investment and try to build something where the, where nothing is there. Right. Like so, for example, if you look at uh, the way independent power is built in America, look at Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley was created by a group of seven or eight engineers or whatever that were all employees of big cor corporations. And they uh, got together. They signed a napkin and made an agreement to go out and buy this land in, in this orchard, in this orange grove that nobody wanted. And that's where Silicon Valley was created. They, they said, we wanna get this land near Stanford University because we can recruit the best students out of Stanford, but nobody wanted that land. That land was very cheap at that time. Now Silicon Valley land is incredibly expensive. So literally Silicon Valley came into existence because somebody planted a seed, dug their shovel in the ground, 
did the long-term intergenerational work necessary to build something where nothing was there. Uh, I could tell you similar stories about how Walmart came into existence with Sam Walton building his little store or how McDonald's came into existence with the McDonald's brothers figuring out how to make a cheeseburger faster than anybody else. There, there's so many stories like that, how the NFL was started when they were buying teams like the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers for three or $400 because nobody really cared about owning a franchise in this crappy little league. And now all these families are worth multiple billions of dollars just a couple of generations later. There are a million stories like that. And what I really think you ought to do, here's a practical application of everything I've been talking about. I know I've talked about a lot today. I just, I'm just letting it out, um, is start telling your, those stories to your kids. Tell your kids those stories. You know, say, yeah, yeah, you know, you could get a job working for somebody, something that somebody else created. But let me tell you how, uh, let me tell you how, uh, you know, let me tell you how Apple got started with Steve Jobs, right? <laughs> or, or let me tell you about A.G. Gaston. You know, I did a little story. I told you guys about A.G. I'm going to try to do more content like that, too, to kind of give you the stories that you can share. And you can feel free to share the content on my channel if you want to. But, like, really, like, like I want my kids to hear stories like that because I don't want them to see what they can become if they are given permission. I want to, them to see what they can become if they can go out there and just take it. I want to see. I don't want to see what they look like on level two. I want to see what they look like on level twelve, right? And so a lot of your kids have the ability to go to level twelve, but nobody ever gives them the vision. Nobody gives them the imagination uh, to to realize how high they could actually go. And, you know, so they're sitting there and they got this job working for um, you know IBM or something or Microsoft, and they're making two hundred thousand a year, and they think that they've reached the pinnacle of success. Look at me. I'm a Microsoft senior executive and I make oh, I made a quarter million dollars last year. Well, maybe you were supposed to be Elon Musk and you're supposed to make 10 million dollars a day. But you can't you never did that because you never even took the time to explore what that reality would look like for you. So 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 don't let people keep you in a box or keep you in a bag. Um, I think as a community, uh, I, I, I really uh, am to some extent, honestly, I disavow my own commitment to any of these pre-existing institutions, almost all of them, not all of them, but most of them. I, you know, I don't I don't have any faith in the public school system. Doesn't mean I hate every public school. It just means I know I, I think I can educate my own kids better than you can anyway. Uh, I don't really care much about corporate America. There's no job anyone at any corporation could offer me that would make me want to lead what I'm doing right now. Um, you know, my wife and I went to visit Harvard University. We have a lot of respect and admiration for for the institution. But I was really studying John Harvard and how that school was built. I was like, oh, what's the history here? How did you take nothing and turn it into something? I need to write and take notes because that's what I want to do. Right. Uh, you know, and if, if, if they called me and they said, hey, doc, we want you to come here and teach at Harvard University, I'd say thank you. But no, thank you, because I've got more important work to do. And I would not say it to be snotty. I wouldn't say it because I was pumping myself up. I wouldn't say it. I wouldn't be lying at all. That would really be truly how I feel. Well, how do I get to that point? Well, I got to that point because I practiced thinking that way. I practice learning to see my own worth and my own value without having to have certain external validation in order for me to feel like it was legitimate. And the reason that that's so important for you to understand is that because sometimes an oppressor will validate you and reward you because you're supporting your own oppression. So, you know, sometimes black people, we think we're doing well because somebody's paying us a lot of money and they made they put us on TV. Well, a lot of times they put you on TV because you're the biggest damn clown. Think about this. Look at how many clowns you got on TV and in the media that, that are just buffoons, absolute losers, living unhealthy lives, 
doing unhealthy things, ignorant as hell, backward as hell, going to die before the age of 40. And we're looking up to these people because somebody grabbed that person, gave them a bunch of money, put them on TV. And we're like, oh, he's successful. He's lit. He's blah, blah, blah. You need to think deeper than that. You need to look at that and say, is this something that would I want my child living like that? Like if you took away all the money and all the fame, is that a life that a healthy black person would even want to live? And if you look at a lot of our rappers in particular, the answer is absolutely no. I know rappers. I know famous people. I've met many, many famous people. A lot of them have called me. I don't call them. I don't look up. I don't chase around famous people. I've never done that. But they call me because they hear about me. Right. And I'm going to tell you, some of those people, <laughs> I'm like, shit, if you take away the money and the fame, you got a horrible life, dude. You have no peace. You're, you're going to get killed at your next concert. And the fans are watching you every step of the way. And you probably got 85,000 STDs. You got 14 babies, mamas, a stack of financial problems I wouldn't give to my worst enemy. Why in the world would I look at you and say, oh, yeah, you're a role model. That's the life I'd want to live. There's nothing good about your life. But you think it's good because they basically put um, they put ice cream uh, or they put uh, they put cake icing on a turd and they made you think it was a birthday cake. They put icing on a turd and you thought you were eating a birthday cake. And I'm like, no, that's a turd. That's just, you just think it's chocolate cake, but really that's just, that's not healthy for you, right? And so so ultimately it requires independent thinking to even be able to see that. And that's why I've noticed as the years go by and the more I kind of figure these things out, because I think about these things every day, I know for a fact, I have no doubt in my mind that as, just so y'all know, as I get older, I'm gonna get weirder, weirder and weirder because Every year I come to more insights because I'm always thinking like, why is it that we have so many educated black people and we work so hard and we keep falling behind and we have so many problems? How is it that we got so many damn black politicians and we our little kids still getting shot up in school and ain't getting educated and going to prison in droves and going through all this hell? And how is it that we're, we're doing all this interesting stuff and our wealth is going down? And the more I see the solution, the more I'm like, holy crap, this is crazy. Like, the brainwashing, the pimp game is so strong and it's very important. The only people that are going to get out of it are the ones who have the ability to and the courage to think critically. So my goal, my job is not to tell you to think like me. My job is not to tell you to agree with me. My job is to encourage you to think critically about your life, what's going to work for you, what's going to put you in a position where you can achieve the things that tend to matter the most, which is uh, health, uh, which is uh, mental and physical health, which is going wealth. Uh, financial security, cash flow, things like that, and healthy relationships with the people that matter to you. And when you start really centering on those things, you're going to end up rejecting a whole lot of stuff that the world has to offer. You know, and th that's what I'm encouraging. I'm going to encourage you to have the courage to, to reject that and go down your own path. Because typically the most ha the happiest, most successful people are people who draw, who color outside the lines. You got to color outside the lines. If you're overly committed to these systems, it's not going to put you in a good place because when you're black, you're designed to be a commodity. So, um, so again, just circling back, I know I started talking about Stacey Abrams and the Howard University thing. I'm not here to diss Stacey. I'm not here to diss Howard. I'm just here to say that, unfortunately, the reason so many people don't really care a whole lot about what's going on with Stacey is because uh, it's hard to make a connection between her political success within the Democratic Party and the overall success of the black community. And what I dream of one day is that we have enough independent political and economic power that we can have people who wake up every single day and they're thinking directly, how can I do what's best for black people? 
and without worrying about what the Democrats are going to think, without worrying about what my boss is going to think, without worrying about what the white media is going to think, and literally just get up and say, what does the black community need? How do we really become black first? 100% black first. Ain't got to apologize for it. Ain't got to ask for permission. Ain't got to wait for somebody to validate it and rubber stamp approve it. We're just going to do this. Like, like when you get to that point, that's when you're going to start seeing the community rise, right? And the thing is, the truth is that there are already people out there that are, are able to do that on a certain scale. And uh, and those individuals, you'll find, have the highest quality of life of anybody in the Black community. They're happy. My, my life got so much better when I wasn't sitting around worried about what Mr. White Man thinks. <laughs> I was able to do what I wanted to do. So so go get your freedom, man. That's all I want for you. That's all I want. All right. So uh, do me a favor. Hit the thumbs up button. Thumbs up, thumbs up, share, subscribe. Please share this uh, video to anybody that you think can benefit from it. Uh, this is Independent Black-Owned Media, so we can use your help. Uh, also, I have a new book, and the book is called The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. It is available right now on Amazon, and uh, it is an Amazon bestseller, so I'm super proud of that because this is not uh, a corporate thing. This is something that we just, we I, I wrote it, I published it, and you guys loved it. And the reviews are 4.9 and 5 stars, so I think you're going to really like it a lot. Uh, also, uh, last but not least, I will be in Houston doing a two-day Black Wealth Boot Camp on the 21st of April. If you'd like to join us in Houston, you can go to boycewatkins.com. And uh, also, we have financial workbooks uh, for children. If you want to teach your kids about wealth, uh, feel free to go to financialworkbooks.com. We spent time with Black experts uh, and working in our uh, Black financial therapy department. We have the only Black financial therapy department uh, that I've ever seen uh, in the Black business school. And we develop financial workbooks for children uh, for every grade level. So if you'd like to uh, prepare your kids for the future, go to uh, financialworkbooks.com. And what's the name of the book? The name of the book is my book is The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. And so it's a basically a black wealth training manual. And I have no doubt based on my expertise and the many years I've spent studying this problem that if you follow these 10 commandments in your family and you implement them in a strategic way, uh, in a simple way, your family is going to just accelerate. It's going to give you a chance to just sort of go to another level. Um, and, and this is something I know I understand wealth very, very well. That's what my doctorate's in. So God bless you guys. Thank you all for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and, uh, and I will talk to you all real soon. Take care now. Peace. Here we are, clan the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now, family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money in the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn into intelligence. Believe none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Voice TV. Here we are.